the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us on AM 1420. The answer is we get underway at just six minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. We're early getting in today. That's good. More opportunities for us to chat with one another. It's the 10th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2019, one day away from the 18th commemoration, the 18th anniversary of the worst terror attack in history of the United States, an event that changed the world, quite literally, in so many ways. We'll examine some of those ways on tomorrow's program. I've been doing this literally for 18 years, since 9-11. <clears throat> I've been doing it since the day of 9-11 uh, on a different radio station in a different part of the country at that time, but um, I will uh, devote tomorrow's program to 9-11 almost exclusively. Today, uh, on the other hand, we have a few different things. And as we do look ahead to tomorrow's program and the commemoration of 9-11 and an attack, the worst attack in the history of this country, the country that we love, I think it's worth asking ourselves, why do Democrats hate it? Why do Democrats simply, are they so repulsed by the United States, by its liberties, by its, uh, by its, its, um, uh, greatness by its power, by its influence? Why are they so repulsed by its economic strength? Why are they so repulsed by its military strength? Why are they so repulsed by the opportunity that this country provides for all people who are here legally? Why do they hate this country? And you might think, ah, you're going a little bit over the top here. They don't hate the country. I kind of kind of disagree with you here. And I think I'm going to agree with Sarah Sanders. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the former White House press secretary, was on uh, Fox and Friends. And um, I, I got to tell you, I, I think she's on, uh, on point here when she says that she thinks Democrats simply don't 
even like America. I'm taking it a step further and using the word hate. Uh, No, I take that back. This wasn't Fox and Friends. Apologies. She was on Hannity. At any rate, she said uh, on Hannity, quote, if you listen to what they're saying, everything they have to say is so negative. And you saw the exact opposite of that from the president tonight when he was speaking last night, of course, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. She's right. The president is always and has been focused on greatness, positive things about this country, opportunities uh, yet to even be realized, but they're there that are there for the taking if we simply approach things the right way. Opportunities to improve this country in its standing around the world as it pertains to trade and alliances with uh, with foreign nations. And you know, the president has been relentlessly positive. The Democrats pretty much act like they hate this country, if not hate a severe, strong dislike for America. Quote from Sarah Sanders, I hope that people will continue to look at the contrast and see that you have somebody who loves this country, loves all of the citizens of this country versus the Democrats who have nothing to do but take down the president and try to tear him down. They just this week, they finally come back to work, she speaks, of uh, Democrats in Congress, and the only thing they can do is try to figure out how to impeach the president. They're terrified, said Sarah Sanders, of his success. Because they know that the more he continues to do well and win, the harder it is for them to get elected. And that is their singular focus. It has nothing to do with helping America. It has nothing to do with helping people across this country. I'm pretty sure, said Sarah Sanders, that they don't even like America. Now, to pause there, and I'm going to underscore that. I'm going to boldface that. I mean, let's go back to the last time the Democrats truly ran this country from the Oval Office with Barack Obama. What was the very first thing Barack Obama told you that he wanted to do to the United States? Improve her? No. Build on her foundational success? No. Enhance and strengthen her? No. Barack Obama and his legions of supporters wanted to fundamentally change her, to fundamentally transform. Those words are synonymous, transform and change. Fundamentally transform America. Why? Because he and they didn't like her. They didn't like this country as it was. They don't like it as it is. Otherwise, why would you want to change it? I've used this analogy before, and I'll use it again. Can you imagine meeting a woman that you really, really liked and that you decide you want to marry her and you ask her to marry you and you say, honey, I have really, really grown to appreciate some things about you. I want to marry you. I want to make us a forever couple. But beware, be aware of the fact that as we go through this marriage, I need to fundamentally change you. I need to fundamentally transform you. Because I don't like it that much. You got some problems. And once I fix those things about you that I don't like, you'll be different, and then I'll really be happy. What woman would accept that proposal? You don't fundamentally transform something that you already like. You build upon the things you like. And as Sarah Sanders said, Quote, final line, I'm not even sure why some of these candidates are running. They seem to all have such a dislike for this country. 
a dislike for American citizens. She's right. She is spot-on accurate. Let's give you an example of the Democrats that dislike this country. Robert Francis O'Rourke, who narrowly lost to Ted Cruz in a bid for the Senate, getting pumped up and propped up by millions and millions of dollars in donations from outside of Texas, decided that that popularity that he got was going to be enough for him to run for president. And in his campaign for president, he has decided the way to set himself apart from some of the others is to out-hate America. To, to defeat them in, in hatred of America. You don't believe me? Listen to what he said at a campaign event just this weekend. Robert Francis O'Rourke, and I, oh, I will never call him Beto as long as I can remember, or I'm thinking of it, I will call him Beta because he is a Beta male. He's not, a, he's not an alpha male. He's a Beta male. Um, but Robert Francis O'Rourke, the Irishman from El Paso, who changed his name to Beto to sound more Hispanic so that he can get street cred, Robert Francis O'Rourke said, it's not just that America is evil today. America isn't just worthy of his hate and revulsion today. America was evil from its very founding. This is a country that has been defined by foundational, systemic, endemic racism since the very founding of this country, August 20th of 1619. The first time that a kidnapped African was brought here against his will and made to serve as a slave to build the greatness and the success and the wealth of this country, which his descendants would never be able to fully participate in. This is the reality of the United States of America. And sooner or later, it was going to find us. It wasn't a matter if, it was a matter of when. To listen to this guy, to listen to Robert Francis O'Rourke tell the story, We went from slavery to today. We didn't go through the period in which hundreds of thousands of white Americans gave their lives in the Civil War to defeat and end slavery and build this country to what it is today. On the foundation that all Americans are, all all, all men are created equal, and particularly here in the United States. That is, to listen to him, no, we were evil then, and we have just fast-forwarded to being evil now. Here's another example. The founding fathers of this great country wrote into our Bill of Rights in the Constitution, wrote the Second Amendment, telling everyone that we will never, ever leave you vulnerable to a tyrannical government or to other threats to your safety, well-being, and to this republic's existence. We will give you the right to bear arms so you can defend yourself against all of these things. Robert Francis O'Rourke, Democrat, speaking for I believe all Democrats said, yes, we are coming for your guns. All of them. This is a country that has produced the leadership that will ensure that we not only have universal background checks and red flag laws and end the sale of those weapons of war, but that we go the necessary steps further, as politically difficult as they may be. A gun registry in this country, licensing for every American who owns a firearm, And every single one of those AR-15s and AK-47s will be bought back so they're not on our streets, not in our homes. Do not take the lives of our fellow Americans. I mean, there's so much to unpack in that ridiculous comment and this attack on America's greatness by, by way of attacking our Bill of Rights. This is, again, another example of how much they hate us. There's so much to unpack, but the very end is the most hilarious part. Comparing AR-15s to AK-47s. 
That's like comparing apples to oranges because they're both fruits. The only, com- the, only, the only similarity is that they're both fruits. The only similarity is these are both firearms. The difference between AK-47s and AR-15s, well, let's just put it to you this way. Uh, if you're in a firefight with somebody who has an AK-47, you damn well better not have an AR-15 or you're dead soon. Okay? Just to point that out. But the other part is, you heard what he said. All of it. Red flag laws are coming. Universal background checks are coming. Full-on gun registry is coming. Full licensure for anybody and everybody that owns a gun is coming. And if you have a gun that we don't like, we are, we are confiscating it. You can use the euphemism buyback, but we all know what that means. It means confiscation. Why? Because we hate the Bill of Rights. We are Democrats, and this country is not the country that we want to help run. We need to fundamentally transform it, erase that Bill of Rights. We'll come up with something ourselves in our own socialist mindset that will protect everybody as we see it. And one of the things we will do is we will determine what you eat, how you heat, what you drive, and anything else we can think of to stop evil Americans, all of us, from killing the planet. The violence, the persecution, the droughts caused not by God, nor by Mother Nature, but by you and me, our excesses, our inaction in the face of the facts and the science, the climate change that we are producing. We are responsible for droughts and other extreme weather, not God and not Mother Nature, except for the fact that there have been droughts and burning and and freezing and massive climate shifts, continental shifts, since the origin of this planet, long before mankind stepped his first footprint on her, on this, uh, on this planet. But he, it's evil Americans. And I want you to listen to the hatred in his voice as he talks about we are responsible. Never mind the fact that the Chinese and the Indians are the greatest polluters on, in, the, in, this, in this world. We are responsible, and he's going to change how you live and how much of your money they're going to confiscate to fight what we have done. Never mind the fact that it cannot change a thing. And one more for you from Robert Francis O'Rourke from The weekend to show you how much they hate Americans. America is a sovereign nation. America has a constitution. It is clearly defined in our laws what our borders are. It has clear laws which regulate who can come into this country as a visitor and who can become a citizen of this country. It is a sovereign nation, again, to repeat myself, but according to people who hate this country, that sovereignty must go. Those borders must be erased. And all illegals who violated every single basic concept of sovereignty, you will be rewarded with citizenship. We're going to legalize the presence of more than 10 million in the United States, beginning with dreamers who will never again fear deportation back to a country they do not know, because we will make them U.S. citizens in this, their true home country. They are going to, we are going to legalize over 10 million illegal aliens, because this is their true home country. I want, with all my heart, some homeless, random homeless people to break into Beto O'Rourke's house, not to harm anyone. I would never wish harm on anybody. I don't want him to hurt anybody. 
But I want them to break into the property. I want them to get inside, and I want them to declare, this is my legal home residence. Legalize me. Support me. Provide me with food and this shelter and medical care and education for my children because I crossed your border, which, according to you, should not exist. And now that I'm here, I deserve citizenship. I deserve permanent residence here. Subsidize my existence, Mr. O'Rourke, and thank you for the space you are providing for me. And I want to see him call the cops. And I want to see him try to evict those people from his residence. And then I want to laugh at this stooge right in his face. 921, The Bob France Authority, right back after this. Peter Carson now coming up at 10.05, 10.10-ish in that neighborhood, depending on when we come back from the news. So make sure you are here for that. Also coming up in a few, in a few minutes, uh, Jeremy Dice, who is the Deputy General Counsel for First Liberty Institute, is going to be joining us. He and they are going after Cleveland City Council. To do what, you may ask? Just to pray. That's it. Cleveland City Council ought to be able to open their meetings with prayer. They are not able to do that as of this time, but they are, uh, First Liberty Council is, or Institute rather, is pushing Cleveland City Council to be able to do that. We're going to talk to, talk to Jeremy Dice about that coming up, uh, in about 15 minutes, eh, about 10 minutes actually, a little bit closer to. Um, but is there any doubt? I mean, seriously, when you listen to Robert O'Rourke, when you listen to Sarah Sanders describing, and you listen to the, the speeches from, you know, President Trump, it's so funny. President Trump is constantly referring to making America great again. And now, of course, the re- the reelection campaign slogan is keep America great. I- I'm not a fan, by the way, Mr. President, team, not a fan of keep America great because we're not there yet. And we didn't we didn't fix everything in two and a half years. I think we should still be uh, make America great again. So I'm going to keep rolling with MAGA instead of uh, instead of keep America great. Because uh, I think we have a long way to go. We have a lot of, uh, of of problems that we have to eradicate in this wonderful, great society of ours. But nonetheless, you listen to the president talking about all the positive things in this country, talking about all of the wonderful opportunity, and then you listen to the Democrats talking about how evil and racist this country was when it was founded, how it hasn't changed in 240-plus years. It is a country that is simply uh, a cesspool that needs to be completely uh, cleaned out and 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 refilled. In other words, this is a country, according to the Democrats, that we not one that we can be proud of. It's just a country that has an opportunity for us to change, to fundamentally transform, and then we'll be proud of it. Maybe as long as we are in charge and the people are subservient to a massive government. And other words, in other words, Sarah Sanders is right when she says these people. Why do they even run for president when they hate this country that they're running for? And the answer is obvious. Because they plan on changing this country, not returning or restoring her to former greatness, economic prosperity, wonderful opportunity for everyone, the way President Trump envisioned and has um, led us to the uh, precipice of those great things. 
but to fundamentally transform it, to get rid of the liberties that we are granted in the Second Amendment, to get rid of some of the laws that we have passed to protect us and uh, uh, and to literally rebuild. We're going to continue to talk about that with Peter Kirsten now coming up at about 1010, as I mentioned. But right now we're going to get news. And on the flip side, should prayer be allowed to be invoked at public council meetings cleveland city council is going to answer that question because the first liberty institute is forcing it and uh we'll talk to uh, one of the representatives jeremy dice coming up next right here on 1420 the answer Nine thirty-five now. The Bob Branch Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer continues. Don't forget Peter Kersenow, Cleveland Attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, will be joining us to discuss a host of matters at about ten ten this morning. Uh, I want to talk about prayer for a moment. And no, this isn't twelve twenty. You are in fourteen twenty, but um, we do talk about this from time to time, especially if it's a news story. According to a recent story at uh, Cleveland dot com, and I assume in the hard copy of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which I don't get. The Cleveland City Council is interested in opening its regularly scheduled meetings with a prayer, as it routinely did years ago. Uh, there was, of course, some pushback here. And again, the old adage, separation of church and state, is being invoked. And no, you cannot open this public city council meeting with prayer. This is in uh, uh, de facto uh, establishment of religion by the government. This is what the opponents say. Well, joining me now to discuss this is an organization that is trying to get city council back to those uh, those uh, old uh, 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 ways, if you will. Sorry about the clumsy word there. But <clears throat> the um, practice of opening their meetings with prayers is Jeremy Dice. He is, and am I saying your last name right, uh, Jeremy? You got it right. Oh, good. I, it was D-Y-S. I wasn't sure it's, it's dis or dice, and I didn't want to diss you, so I diced you. Uh, Jeremy, yeah, we, like to Jer- put, we like to put the dice back into dysfunctional, so there you are. <laughs> I like that. Well done. Jeremy Dice is with the First Liberty Institute, which is an organization that is indeed trying to assist Cleveland City Council in getting back to those practices of opening with prayer, and I really appreciate you joining us this morning, Jeremy. Um, I'm glad to start be here. With, let me start with, uh, just tell me about First Liberty Institute. I'm not terribly familiar, and maybe some of our listeners are not as well. Tell me about the organization. Sure, yeah, we're, we're a nationwide religious liberty law firm. All we do is defend religious liberty for all Americans, whether that's in our, our schools where students deserve the right to be able to exercise their faith, uh, whether that's in our houses of worship, should, which should be free to be able to be who they are in their houses of worship and outside of it in the uh, the uh, public square as well, and within the military. We want all Americans to be able to be free to exercise their faith. Probably the most recent uh, example of our work here has been to partner with the American Legion in defense of a nearly 100-year-old veterans memorial that we just uh, protected at the Supreme Court of the United States just in June. And so now not only is that symbol, religious symbol, protected and what the Supreme Court said presumed to be constitutional, now are so many religiously expressive symbols, uh, practices, and activities around the country that are just like it. So we're happy to continue our work, and folks can learn more about us at firstliberty.org. Well, that's a, a fantastic introduction of the organization. I appreciate that. Now, I uh, have a copy uh, in front of me of your letter to Cleveland City Council regarding the opening of their uh, their meetings with prayer. Um, tell me how you got involved in this. Uh, I know you mentioned, or at least I mentioned, uh, that you referenced the Cleveland.com article there. Um, is that Was that simply, hey, I'm scanning the newspaper, hey, they want to start with prayer, let's get involved in and help those folks out? How did this come about? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Look, we, we keep an eye out for situations like this around the country because 
far too often we find out after the fact that people have ended a practice that is uh, not only perfectly constitutional, but is so consistent with our country as to be almost one with it, right? Uh, and in this case, you have the city of Cleveland wanting to go back to a time when they, they did open their meetings with prayers, and for whatever reason, that ended some time ago. And now you've got at least one councilman and I think a couple others that are keen to start that again. And they're, they're unsure of whether or not they can do that. And, and our purpose of writing was to say, look, the Supreme Court has twice addressed this issue, and it said absolutely you can pray before public meetings. You can have a chaplain, you can pay someone to do it, or you could have a volunteer for the local community to do it. But the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals has gone so far as to say, yeah, not only can you pray before public meetings, but, hey, if you as the lawmakers want to do it, if you as the councilman want to have, have lead the prayer, you can do that, too. That's perfectly fine and perfectly constitutional. And then just last month, just a few days ago, really, uh, right in neighboring Pennsylvania, the uh, Third Circuit Court of Appeals approved the practice of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives opening their meetings of public prayer. So this is something that is very consistent with our history and, and is, is overwhelmingly uh, considered within the law as something that is perfectly constitutional. We're talking to Jeremy Dice with the First Liberty Institute, an organization, as you just heard, uh, a law firm dedicated to religious liberty, trying to help those members of Cleveland City Council who wish to pray before council to uh, to be able to lead a prayer like that. What kind of response? It looks like you sent this last week to every council member. Um, have you gotten any responses from any members, and uh, what have they said? Well, I've talked to one or two of the, of the members, and what I understand that they'll be doing is uh, those who are in support of, of, of doing this are, are trying to figure out a way to explain to those who are opposed that it makes sense to do this. And I think now they've said, hey, look, thanks for this letter. It gives me, they say, a lot of confidence to be able to to rebut some of the arguments that we're hearing. And, and it seems to be the prominent argument that they get pushback from is that this uh, th- that opening the meetings with public prayer somehow violates this thing called the separation of church and state. Now, I'm yes, sure you always. and your listeners are so astute to know that that does not even exist in the law. I mean, it's not in the Constitution. It's not a real concept. It's just bandied about to throw away uh, anything that, that resembles religion in the public square. Uh, and the reality is this, that before we were even a country, and, and indeed the day that we passed the First Amendment, or what would become the First Amendment in Congress, we had people opening those meetings with prayer. There's a very famous story about Ben Franklin during the Constitutional Convention when things got to be the, at the kind of the most heated. He called for prayer during that time. I mean, Ben Franklin is not himself known as the most, you know, religious or moral person in the universe. He's the guy calling for prayer, and this has gone on throughout our entire history. There will be meetings today all over the country that will begin with prayer, and the United States Supreme Court, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and many other courts say that's perfectly fine. It's one of the best traditions we have in our country. Go ahead and keep on doing it, and. If you want to do it yourselves as the lawmakers, you can do that too. So um, it's good to know that some, uh, you know, are embracing this and, and are appreciative of you for laying it out. And you kind of have laid it out. I mean, this is a, this is a pretty extensive letter, five pages, talking about uh, a cer- uh, cer- uh, Sixth Circuit Courts approving of legislative prayer. You talk about uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy's majority opinion on legislative prayer. You really kind of lay out the full legal case without having to go before a judge on this. Will this be enough, do you think, to, uh, to uh, and how do they decide this? Is it a simple majority vote of the council as to whether or not they want to pray? Is that the end of this, or is there a legal uh, maneuver afterwards that may be required? Yeah, no, I, I think it's just as much as whatever the rules are for for making that change, which my guess would be just a simple majority vote on the on the Cleveland City Council there, and 
and and then they can go ahead and begin their meetings in that manner. And look, here's the deal. I'm not so naive to think that everybody agrees with me. I wish they did, but you know that doesn't always happen. But if if for some reason this were to come up with some legal challenge against it, let's just say they made the change, they began opening their meetings, called the prayer. Councilman Jones starts next week by leading prayer according to his religious tradition, and someone decides to sue the city council of Cleveland. Well, here's the good news for the city councilman there. They can call me back, and we would be happy to put a legal team together at no charge to the city of Cleveland to defend that uh, practice. Assuming they're doing it the right way, which we'll make sure they are, we'll defend them if we have to back to the Supreme Court. I don't think I'll have to go that far, but we're happy to represent them pro bono because this is such a clear issue, and they have every freedom in the world to be able to do that. I love that. Uh, that's great. Uh, that, you know, I support another organization called Alliance Defending Freedom that does the same thing, pro bono defense of individuals who are looking for religious liberty and freedom. So I really love that about First Liberty Institute as well. Jeremy Dice is my guest, Deputy General Counsel with uh, First Liberty Institute. Um, since you're doing this with Cleveland, um, any chan- chance or any plans that you might uh, look in other cities, whether it be smaller suburban communities or other big cities, and uh, see if uh, this is something that can be advanced in those places as well? You know, absolutely. In fact, if, if you're aware of any or if any of uh, your listeners are, I would really ask you to go to First Liberty out of Oregon. Let me know about these uh, opportunities. We want to make sure that every American has the rights that are fully, uh, to be able to deploy the rights that are fully protected within the Constitution to the, the greatest extent possible. And look, you, you folks in Ohio, Michigan, you got down to Kentucky, within the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals area, You've got one of the greatest decisions on record here. It was actually our case, Bormuth versus County of Jackson, out of the Jackson County up in Michigan, uh, that, that protects the right to pray. And you can read it right there off your letter you have in front of you, where Judge Sutton talks about that it's not the province of judges to sit there, as he says, like helicopter parents, <laughs> deciding which prayers are right and which ones are wrong. It's up to the individual citizens themselves to decide whether they want to do this. But the law, he says, is perfectly clear you absolutely have the right to open your, your school board meetings, your city council meetings, your county commissioner meetings. Whatever those uh, legislative meetings, those public meetings are, they can be begun with prayer, and, and that's perfectly constitutional. And Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Jeremy, setting aside your uh, status as an attorney, uh, just a personal opinion uh, from you. Um, how much do we need prayer in this country right now? Well, Look, I, I think in any age of our society or our civilization, we'd be well to remember that there is a higher authority, well, outside of ourselves, number one, but even as we look uh, oftentimes to government to be that higher authority, we need to remind ourselves that, that even government has to be responsive and responsible to something else as well. And first, in our Constitution, it means the people. But if we are the kings and queens of this country as the, as the rulers properly of our elected officials, then we ought to remember that we are submissive, or we have a higher duty to God himself as well. And so it's good for us to be reminded of that fact. And that's precisely what Justice Kennedy was talking about in Town of Breeze versus Galloway, that, that the importance of these prayers is not to be proselytizing and trying to convince someone to your way of life and your way of religion. It's to solemnize and, and to remind people of the kind of this common understanding of, of responsibility to one another and to a higher authority before they engage in what he called the fractious business of governing. Government and politics is, is fractious. It's, it's, um, it's divisive enough. This is a time for us to all you know, think beyond ourselves and to be reminded that there is a greater good that we are serving. So I firmly welcome prayer into the public square, whether that's at the city council meeting or just around your dinner table. It's something that all of us ought to be pursuing each day. 
Very well stated, and, and I completely concur. Uh, it, I just think, you know, you're right when you say at any time, in any era, in any age of this great republic, uh, we, we, we do well to, to, you know, look to our creator and, and to try to embrace those things. But I think right now in particular, uh, we're at a time where I think too many people have turned away from God, turned away from prayer, and, uh, and it would be, it would do us well to have some of our leaders kind of remind us of that at places like Cleveland City Council. Last thing on you, on this, by the way, <clears throat> going back to this specific case, um, are you at liberty to say, which council members are supportive of this, and uh, and that you have discussed this with, and uh, and and are, and are kind of trying to advance it, or is that something you can't say? Well, I'll, I'll refrain from who I've spoken to directly, but the, the article that you referenced there makes allusions to a number of the of the the, uh, the councilmen that are that are interested in this. And I know for one, back in June, that article was referring to Councilman Jones, who was very interested in, in bringing this back, and. There was maybe one or two that just, uh, my guess was one that was opposed, but two or three that were just kind of indifferent and just didn't want to rock the boat. But I think the majority of them on the commission would be open to doing this, or the council would be open to doing this, but for some confidence, right? And what we just wanted to do is come alongside that city council and say, look, here's some confidence for you. You can do this. And not only can you do this, the law is perfectly clear on this. You are welcome to have a chaplain. Uh, paid for on staff, like the United States House of Representatives does, to pray these uh, prayers. You can have a volunteer from the church across the street from the city council chambers come across and and provide that uh, prayer, or just someone off the street who wants to walk in and, and be a part of that. But the law is also clear in the Sixth Circuit that if you as lawmakers want to open these meetings of prayer, you didn't give up your rights to citizenship when you, when you uh, were elected to office. You still retain that freedom. Uh, and, and so I think it's an important part visibly for the rest of the country to recognize and look at and see, okay, look, uh, it's important for us to, to do this as, as citizens, but it's good for us to be reminded that we have citizen legislators who are themselves no better than we are and have the same freedoms and rights and responsibilities as we do, and they're exercising their rights just as much as we are exercising our own under their governance. So this is a great time for city councilmen to show a, a great display of what the First Amendment is all about. Uh, very well said. Completely concur. Jeremy Dice, <clears throat> Deputy General Counsel for the First Liberty Institute, an organization working to help uh, bring prayer back to Cleveland City Council uh, at the urging of some city council members. Jeremy, thanks very much. We're going to follow the story and kind of see where it goes and see if they do indeed start, uh, 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 you know, bringing prayer back and uh, or if they receive enough pushback and they cannot do so. Maybe we'll bring it back again and see what the next step is. But we really appreciate you joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. All right, there's Jeremy Dice from First Liberty Institute. I, I didn't read the article that he was talking about that mentioned which council members. I only read his letter to Cleveland City Council. I don't read uh, the Plain Dealer very often. Uh, I do check Cleveland.com as necessary, which is something that I will do to see which members of council are supportive of this. All right, 949, get a quick time out here. Got time for a few phone calls before the top of the hour. If you want to get in before Kirsten now, do it now. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Right back after this. Fifty-four now. The Bob France Authority continuing on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, thanks again to Jeremy Dice. We'll follow that story and bring you updates on it as we go. I want to. Um, I want to hit something completely different here before we get to Kersenow after the top of the hour. If you have not yet heard this bit of Senate testimony from uh, Doctor Robert Epstein, 
Um, you really need to. Now, this is not new, but it is new to a lot of people who have just not seen this before. Dr. Robert Epstein um, testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee about the unholy role, if I may say it that way, that Google has decided to insert itself into federal elections. Now, this is not new ground when we talk about the role that Silicon Valley has played in, um, you know, trying to censor conservatives and support liberals, et cetera, et cetera. We do, you know, we do see that on a fairly regular basis. And we do discuss that on a fairly regular basis as well. But this is a little bit different. Dr. Epstein is not a Trump supporter. In fact, Dr. Epstein is a Trump hater. He does not like Donald Trump at all. This is the one of the very first things that he wants you to know about him. But yet he testified before this Senate Judiciary Committee about Google's search manipulation and its impact on elections. Now, this was done about a month ago, uh, but there is new Dr. Epstein information to share with you, which we're going to do in a bit because of an interview that he did with Mark Levin on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox. But this... Uh, this information, oh, I take it back. It was not a month ago. It was not in August. It was actually in July. This testimony happened. Bombshell testimony from somebody who has no reason to make any of this up because he does not like Donald Trump. He just likes fair elections. Listen to this very I am indeed Dr. Robert Epstein. The most important thing for you to know about me is that I'm the father of five wonderful children. As it happens, I'm also a research psychologist at the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology. I have been center, center left my whole adult life, but I value my country and democracy more than I value any party or candidate. That is why I'm speaking out today. I'm here to explain why Google poses a serious threat to democracy, how monitoring systems can protect us from companies like Google, and how Congress can immediately end Google's worldwide monopoly on search. My plan for ending that monopoly was published just yesterday in Business Week. I respectfully request that my article be entered into the congressional record. It's attached to my full testimony. Uh, it will be entered without objection. I've been a research psychologist for nearly 40 years. My PhD is from Harvard, and since 1981, I've published extensively on AI and other topics. Some of my research has focused on Google, on the company's massive surveillance operations, censorship capabilities, and unprecedented ability to manipulate the thinking of 2.5 billion people, soon to be 4 plus billion. I want you to make sure you understand that last part. It's not just about their censorship. It's about their ability to affect the thinking of 2.5 billion people by the way they manipulate their search algorithms. And this can affect our democracy, as this center-left psychologist uh, testifies. I've written articles about Google for Time Magazine, USA Today, that kind of thing, but also for The Daily Caller and even Russia's Sputnik News. I reach out to diverse audiences because I believe the threats posed by Google, and to a lesser extent Facebook, are so serious that everyone needs to know about them. Here are just three disturbing findings from my research which adheres to the very highest standards of scientific integrity. Number one, in 2016, Google's search algorithm 
likely impacted undecided voters in a way that shifted at least 2.6 million votes to Hillary Clinton. I want you to hear that again. This is full-on acknowledgement that Google literally manipulated votes in the United States. We're worried about Russian manipulation. We need to worry about uh, about um, Silicon Valley manipulation. We need to worry about these tech giants and their manipulation. They, unlike the Russians, literally were changing votes. It shifted at least 2.6 million votes to Hillary Clinton, whom I supported. I know this because I preserved more than 13,000 election-related searches prior to Election Day, and Google's search results were significantly biased in favor of Secretary Clinton. This is a Clinton-supporting leftist who is telling you that the elections in this country are not reliable, and not because they favor Donald Trump, Just the opposite, because they favor leftist Democrats, including Hillary Clinton that he voted for and he supported. But this is so concerning to him that that democracy be preserved in this country, and that is the way that we vote. It is democracy. We absolutely, positively cannot allow Google, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and the other Silicon Valley giants to manipulate people's thinking and literally affecting millions of voting decisions. And that is exactly what he is saying they did intentionally. And guess what? They're going to do it again in 2020. I cannot underscore the importance of this guy's testimony and his conversation with Levin on Life, Liberty, and Levin on television more strongly. We'll pick this up when Peter Kersenow joins us after the top of the hour news, which is now on AM4. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.